Hello, I'm Christopher Domicio, and this is my novel, a very good novel, Coronavirus. And this is chapter 21. Personally, my one of my favorite chapters in the book. Uh, you can find the whole thing uh, either on podcasts or written out, if you prefer to read like I do, at averygoodnovel.com. Enjoy. Chapter 21, The Grand California Tax Scheme. Federal and state taxes had been pushed back to July 15th. It was an unprecedented move, but one that had seemed necessary at the height of the first pandemic scare. As the second wave of death screamed across the nation, politicians used their media allies to remind people that America could only keep running if everyone did their part, and a big part of that was paying taxes. Essentially, the first relief effort of the U.S. government had given trillions of dollars to corporations with virtually no limitations, no means testing, and no oversight. This right on the heels of the $2 trillion in corporate tax cuts that they'd already been given. This huge theft was approved by the American people in return for a $1,200 per adult payout, which came from the taxes that the bottom half of Americans pay. The average American felt grateful for a deal that had ripped them off, and most of them never even realized they'd been scammed. In any event, the country and the states were now in the deep red, and it was bad policy to stop collecting taxes. So word went out that despite the new waves of death, taxes would be collected. One big problem, however, was that the IRS was as devastated by the pandemic as every other federal agency. The U.S. government had a policy of keeping those kinds of numbers a secret, but in this case, there had been far too many government accountants who lived in D.C., New York, New Jersey, and Delaware, some of the hardest-hit areas. As a result, the federal government enlisted the states to assist in processing of federal returns. The scheme was pitched as a way to increase state employment, put the country back to work, and take care of business at the same time. In fact, it wasn't a bad idea, but it did open the door to several possibilities that the government seemed to have missed. The scheme worked like this. Electronic federal returns would be processed by the IRS. Returns that were mailed in would be diverted to state tax offices where they would be processed, logged, and electronically forwarded to the federal IRS offices. Tax payments from checks or money orders would be deposited in federal IRS accounts by state agencies. I'm sure you can see where this is going. Governor Newsom of California decided to make his move. The California State Tax Board opened up an account through Wells Fargo, a California bank under the name of Internal Revenue Service, California, doing at business as IRS-CA and IRS. As federal returns were filled, filed, and documented, California's top state accountants deposited the checks and payments made out to the IRS into the new account. This was not the way the federal government had detailed the process. Furthermore, thanks to Bob and his friends on the post box, huge numbers of tax returns from other states were accidentally forwarded to the California Tax Division. For those working in the newly quadrupled in size tax board, the process was relatively simple. And since these were mostly new hires from other diverse fields, there were no questions asked. Returns from all over the country were pouring into Sacramento. The process went like this. Every envelope was open. Check payments were entered into a database with the social security numbers, amount of tax due, regardless of state of residence, and then the checks were turned in to supervisors who deposited them in the IRS CA account. Returns without checks were forwarded to the federal IRS office, and returns from other states were forwarded to red state offices, often the wrong red state. The purpose of all this forwarding and mistake-making was simple. The federal IRS needed to be kept unaware of what was happening for as long as possible. 
In order for the huge volume of returns to be shifted to California, the USPS needed to bring large numbers of postal fleet vehicles into California from neighboring western states. Newly purchased vehicles from the south and southeastern seaboard were also shipped into California to help with mail glut. All of these arrangements had been made prior to Postmaster General DeJoy taking over, and since he was largely engaged in doing the administration's business, it all flew under his radar. The truth was, DeJoy was a good businessman, but he didn't have the knowledge necessary to be a Postmaster General, and his predecessor left without giving him any of the usual guidance on what the job entailed or how to do it. Shortly after he'd taken over, all of the liberal members of the Postal Board of Correctors had resigned. There was a distinct lack of experience and knowledge in Postal HQ, at least experience and knowledge that DeJoy or the administration could benefit from. DeJoy was kept busy by orders from the administration. Due to the rolling death tide of the pandemic smashing its way through the South and Midwest, California took the unprecedented step of sealing her borders. Governors Inslee and Brown of Washington and Oregon quickly followed suit. Nevada began taking measures to begin the same process. The only vehicles allowed into California were postal vehicles and cargo transport. California residents living abroad or other states were informed that if they were to return to the state, they would be placed under mandatory 30-day quarantines. The state closed its borders to tourists, non-residents, and non-essential business. California's connections to the outside world were now either through the USPS or electronic. Newsom activated the entire California National Guard to assist in closing borders. The California Highway Patrol, state and county sheriffs, state and local police departments, and other state agencies were activated at the highest level and hired as many people as applied. Out-of-state prisoners were furloughed if they accepted free passage out of the state on Greyhound buses to Idaho, Arizona, or Utah. Prisoners from Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada, and Hawaii were kept as a courtesy to neighboring states. This state of affairs began taking place in the last part of June and accelerated in the days leading up to the 4th of July. Trump's Independence Day celebration of a reopened America was shaping up into the worst disaster the country had ever witnessed. Millions were dying, and yet the red state governors and Trump supporters continued to reopen. They continued to listen and believe his lies. And when he said the deaths were a conspiracy theory put on by Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, they began to burn effigies of the billionaires in the streets. Through the National Guard, Newsom and his supporters were able to infiltrate high commands of the, all the U.S. military bases in California. California has 32 U.S. military bases covering all branches of the U.S. military. The U.S. Air Force had Beale, Edwards, Travis, El Segundo, March, McClellan, and Vandenberg. The Army had Forts McClellan and many more. The Marines had Camp Pendleton, 29 Palms, and more. The Navy and Coast Guard had installations stretching from San Diego all the way to Eureka. The governors of Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, and Nevada followed similar tactics. They weren't planning insurrection. They were simply taking steps to protect their states from the stable genius in the White House and whatever mad plans he might formulate. Far off Hawaii had the trickiest time of it, with a civilian population of just over 1.1 million and 12 bases, housing up to a quarter million troops, their families, contractors, and non-uniform personnel. Despite it being his state, this was a problem that Newsom spent a lot of time, despite it not being his state, this was a problem that Newsom spent a lot of time considering. With the chaos outside of California's borders, the tax returns kept flowing into the state and the tax payments kept piling up in the new IRS California account. No one outside of those who had set it up seemed to notice. On the 4th of July, President Trump finally was able to hold the huge military parade he'd been clamoring for since coming into office. Tanks and missiles were paraded down the streets of Washington, D.C. Jets spewing red, white, and blue left trails in the sky, and Trump stood on a dais at the Washington Monument, standing tall, looking regal with his orange chin held high, watching the military show the world his might. His speech began well. My friends... 
my fellow Americans, we've suffered greatly. No other people have suffered so much and with so much bravery. And of course, it veered into self-aggrandizement. No other president in the history of our country, as no other leader in the history of the world, has given as much or sacrificed as much as I have. The greatest economy the world has ever known. The greatest military the world has ever seen. The most beautiful people. He looked at his daughter Ivanka with what could only be described as lust that the world has ever known. He trailed off, lost in fantasy or thought, but then picked up the thread. We deserve better we have been than we've been given. We deserve a better system. We deserve better leaders. We deserve better media. The media has been on a crusade to demonize me, to make me a mockery, to turn you, my people, against me. Using Obamagate, the media and the Democrats in the House and Senate have made fools of the American people. They dared to impeach me in the House. They wasted billions of dollars trying to turn you against me. I am you, and you are mine. We are one. The failed New York Times, the awful Amazon, Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, they've all failed you. They've been given you lies when you needed hope. None of them have mentioned the plots and conspiracies of Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos to destabilize our great country. It was like no other 4th of July speech in the history of America. I won't fail you. I will sacrifice everything for you. God bless America. I'm going to fix all of these problems for you. I will make the stock market rise like a rocket. Our 401ks will be bigger than ever. We will defeat the Chinese and make America greater than ever before. There was no mention of the pandemic the people who were starving, the tens of millions of unemployed, no mention of the massive millions of dead, no mention of the devastated relationships with Canada, the European Union, Australia, Asian or African countries, just the usual dreamy self-promotion until it wasn't. My fellow Americans, Trump became, became serious. We face unprecedented challenges. Our amazing intelligence officers in the Secret Service have uncovered a number of plots to overthrow our great country. And you know about some of them. Working with ICE and border agents, we've unearthed plots against our government and against me, your glorious leader. I don't want you to worry, however. As we speak, ICE agents are arresting both Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton. We've discovered that they were conspiring with Mexico and China to destroy our election process with vote tampering and fraud. I don't know if former President Obama's and Bush were a part of this, but for their sake, I hope they were not. We're looking into things, and I want you to know that we're discovering some very dangerous things about our country. Believe me, we will not leave any stone unturned. He again be began to sound casual and breezy. I want you to know that we are doing everything that we can to defend our democracy and to protect our country. We'll be postponing elections until 2021 while we work to find the rat's nest of conspirators and traitors who tried to take all of this, and he motioned his hands around Washington, D.C., from me and you. We're working with newly reorganized post office and the Bureau of Elections to set up national voting by mail, which should be ready to implement in early 2021. The post office is declaring its own independence from Amazon today and will no longer be giving free shipping to that billionaire trader Jeff Bezos. I've appointed Roger Stone, the man I recently pardoned after he was unfairly arrested and imprisoned by Democrats. 
very unfair to head a media inquiry board with the power to nationalize and take editorial control of subversive media organizations. Inspector Stone has recommended that we immediately nationalize and take control of the failed New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN and MSNBC. Our agents have been working quietly this morning to take control of this situation. I don't want you to worry, America. We will have fair elections, an end to fake news, and a better future. Our fan founding fathers would be so proud of the job that I'm doing here. I just wish that my own father could witness this moment. God bless America, and God bless you, Americans, and God bless me and my family. Happy Independence Day. The crowds roared as bands began to play, and jets screamed overhead at altitudes that Trump had insisted on despite the safety concerns of the pilots and the FAA. CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post, and The New York Times all published and aired glowing reports of President Trump's glorious speech. Taking the hint, other media outlets followed suit with only a few daring to bring up the fact that Donald Trump had just arrested his political opponents and taken control of the independent media. There was panic in the military, panic in the editorial rooms of the media, panic in the post office, and panic in Mexico and China. Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, the two richest men in the world, didn't panic. They activated their private security forces. Former postmaster Megan Brennan also did not panic. She'd already activated ROP 1-75 back in May, and now she brought it in line from where she was in California. That's a dramatic ending to chapter 21. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, chapter 22, the foreclosure and eviction pandemic is next.